Amen. Good morning, church. You may be seated. Good to be back. See everybody. So a couple a couple of weeks ago, we started a, a message, and the title was "Going Deeper." And uh, you know, it's interesting what what God does in our lives because it's one thing to prepare a message about going deeper from the comfort of my office. It's one thing to to prepare a message about going deeper based on maybe past experiences I've had or illustrations from the Bible. And it's another thing to preach a message about going deeper when you've had the sort of past couple weeks that I ended up having. And so I'm going to share a little bit about that because I think it's relevant to where God took me and has me and where I believe he wants to take each one of us. And so I, uh, I guess going back um, Wednesday, I was here uh, last week and we had uh, the midweek service. We had prayer before and I was actually doing laps. Sandy saw me. I was doing laps around the, the gym and I was, as, my, as I was praying, I was doing laps and I felt good. And the next day, which was a Thursday, I had a physical and I was so excited. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be like, listen, I am praying, and I'm doing laps. And, you know, one time I did laps, but still that counts. So, but I was feeling good. I, hadn't, I was sharing with the leadership team. I've gotten migraine headaches for 15 years. In four months, I haven't had a headache. And, uh, you know, just feeling really good about myself. And at about 1 in the morning, I started getting a sharp pain in my stomach. And I knew right away what it was. And I was like, oh. So I told Becky, I'm like, this is not good. And so by uh, 4.30, 5 o'clock, I was up. 6 o'clock, I was in the ER. And, you know, five hours in the ER, and, uh, and I was admitted. I have diverticulitis in my stomach. I don't really get, that's not really the point of it. The point of it was, you know, I was in the hospital for four days. Now, you know, I, j- I just had leg surgery, so I was out for three weeks, recovered from that. I was in the hospital for this, and then I'm, you know, was in there for a few days. Then they, they uh, let me go, and I was kind of dealing with it from home, you know, not sleeping, pretty miserable. And then I was driving back up. Uh, to the hospital every day's a blur maybe friday and my sister said hey where are you and i said i'm heading back to the hospital and she said so is mom in an ambulance and i'm like now my mother's there right now and she's doing fine and thank god everything worked out but i didn't feel like going deeper with jesus i i felt anger. I felt guilt for not taking care of myself. I felt frustration. I felt sadness. I questioned. I didn't get it. I was frustrated by the hospital, the whole thing. And then I remembered. I remembered this Jesus who promised, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Take heart. In me, you can have peace because I've overcome the world. And I remember my prayer just being like, Just be with me in the midst of this and help me to be aware of your presence. I didn't want to be Jesus, and I'm not going to tell you the whole time I was in the hospital, I was with Jesus. Some of the nurses made me not want to be Jesus, and some of the other nurses were incredible. But I was, you know, I let everybody know I was a pastor. I was inviting people to church, and and I was trying to be light in a dark situation. But, it, you know, when, you, when your health is, is the issue, uh, you know, I was kind of sitting and reflecting. I had a lot, a lot of time to sit and reflect. And I realized that all the other stupid stuff that I was stressed out about, I, didn't, I couldn't even remember what it was. Like when, when you're dealing with a health situation, when you're in pain, when you just want to feel good, all the other stuff, all the little stuff, that, all the noise that crowds us out, it just kind of fades away. It really gives you this perspective this focus, and I, I recognized the gift of a day. I recognized, you know, the gift of what it means to be in Jesus, that no matter what I was going through, that he was going to be with me, that he was going to walk with me through it. You know, we have a God not who is divorced from human suffering and human reality, not who's, who's up there and away from us, but we have a God who entered into the human experience, who knows what it is to suffer. And that God says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. 
You know, throughout history, people worshipped. You know, deep inside of us, there's this desire to worship. But they didn't know how to worship. They didn't know what to worship. They worshipped the sun, and then they worshipped statues. And that's how Paul had to say, no, let me tell you about the God that we all worship. That Emmanuel, that God with us, that knowing no matter what you go through, no matter what I go through, that he's going to be there. And so, you know, after being in the hospital for those few days and just kind of feeling lousy, and then, you know, and then we had the event here. And just a round of applause for everybody who put that on because it was an amazing event. And people were thanking me, and I didn't do anything at all. Zero. That's my wife. I did nothing but show up. And, uh, but it was nice, and I just kind of floated around to see everybody. But here's what happens when you go through, like, when you have a, a struggle, it's a health struggle, you lose somebody, you seem increasingly present in, in, the, you know, in your reality for that moment. You know, I was there, and I was just observing, and I was just watching, and I was grateful for just the opportunity to be there. And then last night at the Tinkham Town Chapel in Mattapoisa, uh, we went, and they've been singing Christmas carols for 65 years out of that Tinkham Town Chapel. They had a flute, and they had a, an organ, and a fiddle player, and just people came together and proclaimed the name of Jesus. And for 65, and we, and we just sat there. You know, the kids were there, and the kids did a little, you know, did some Christmas songs, and I just, again, had this sense of like, thank you, Jesus, for this moment. This moment to pause and to worship you with a group of strangers in a chapel that's been doing it for 65 years. Thank you for the reminder that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. And so we've been talking about going deeper. And if you weren't here for the first part a couple of weeks ago, you can listen online to the podcast. You can watch the sermon. But we said that Christ calls us to go deeper with him, that he never expects that we just remain sort of superficial Christians, that we, that we you know, clean out the outside of the cup and, and make everything kind of look a little bit more presentable, that we refine our edges, but we remain firmly planted in the world. You know, I've used the illustration before, and people go to Teen Challenge, guys and girls, and they look rough. You know, they come in, they look rough. And then they come in, they start to eat healthier, you know, they, they, you know, put on a little weight, a lot of weight in some cases, and then they get haircuts, and everybody says, oh, see how they look? And I'm like, don't let it fool you. They're still ugly on the inside, right? I mean, that's, it's, it's amazing to be, you know, start living right, and, and, you know, we come to church, and we, we come to group, we do the right things, and, you know, we, maybe we swear less, and whatever it is, right, where that's good, but then we don't want to stay there. We don't want to keep Jesus at a distance. Because we sing Emmanuel, God with us, but then we kind of want him. We want him with us when we want him with us, and then it's like, all right, you stay over there. But what it means to go deeper with Jesus is it means to understand intimately his promise to be our source for life, for strength, for joy, for peace, that gives our life purpose and meaning that everything we long for can be found in Jesus Christ. That we celebrate the gift of the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, who set us free from being slaves to self. Set us free from sin and from death. That we can experience and live with Christ as the center of everything, not in the peripheral. And that's what intimate life with Christ is. And so we don't want to settle for a Jesus that we keep outside of our lives, but we want to worship a Jesus that we invite in, not just with our songs, but with our everyday life. And we know that going deeper with Jesus will always provide us a greater measure of his joy and his peace and his strength. Because we said you can never outlove God and you can never outgive God. And so going deeper is what is expected of us. And so to recap from last week, we said, when people look at us, do they see anything different at all? Not just in what we say, but in how we live. Are we living different? And we, we said we're going to ask and answer three questions. And the first is, what hinders us for, from going deeper? What are, the, what are the obstacles in our lives? The enemy, our own shame and guilt, 
existing sin, maybe past sin, maybe a lot of the times we can't get out of our own way. We, we just, you know, we, we, we believe the lies of the enemy that way. One thing, when the Bible says, if anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come, right? We, we have to remember the promises of God, but that hinders us from going deeper. Then we said, how can we go deeper? The second question, what does it mean? What does it look like? Is it a feeling? Is it an action? And then finally, what are the benefits of going deeper? So I'm going to read again our main text, and then uh, we'll continue. Hebrews 5.12 through 6.1 says this. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truth of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk being still an infant is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity. I love that expression. It's not just what we're doing. It's we're being taken forward to maturity. It's what the Spirit is doing in us. Most of the time, we just got to, you know, submit to the process and let God do what he wants to do. Therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about Christ and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from acts that lead to death and of faith in God. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Take a moment, say hi to somebody, and then we'll continue. Lord, we're here now to hear from you. And so we ask, God, that you would remove the distractions, that you would bring us to a place of clarity and focus, that you would help us listen and hear the still, small voice. Father, cast aside and remove the what we didn't do, what we have to do, the anxieties, the disappointments, the frustrations, the fears. And Father, meet with us here now, your people. Overcome us with your presence, your spirit. Empower us with your word. Give us ears to hear, God. Increase our faith. And may your comfort and peace be felt in a tangible way for all those who are suffering now, who are in a season of struggle, that they may hear the voice of the one who says, Call to me, all you who are weary. And I will give you rest for your soul, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We worship you now, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 So I want to recap quickly last week what we talked about. We said that in Luke 5, 4, Peter's called by Jesus to launch out into the deep water and to set down his nets for a catch. Now, we know, and we've talked about this before, and we don't need to go over it again, but when you tell somebody to do something that's been doing it their whole lives, there's every reason for that person to be like, hey, hey, hey Jesus, how about you stick to preaching and let me do the fishing? I've been doing this since I was like four years old, right? So a lot of times in our life, we think we know better, right? So Peter could just been like, hey, I've been doing that all night. I have a friend, and every time he signs a... a uh, uh, email or anything, it's on the bottom, it says, because you say so, Jesus, I will. Because that was Peter's response. Because you say so, Jesus, I will. Even though I think this, and I know that, and I've done this, and it's just that simple faith of because you say so, Jesus, I will. And of course, the results were amazing. Because when we obey God, the results are always amazing. They always surprise us, but they're always amazing. We've said before, God's will will never take you to where his grace will not sustain you. God's will will never take you to where his grace will not sustain you. So when we obey and respond to God's call, the results will always amaze us. And so we talked about what hinders us from going deeper, and we said it calls us to leave our comfort zone. It calls us to trust God more. It is a little bit of uncertainty 
We're, we're unsure. We're, you know, we have to move from what we know, like Peter, like, you know, from what we know, from our habits, from, you know, things that maybe have worked in the past to now trusting God, to maybe doing something different. It calls us for a greater commitment, doesn't it? Requires sacrifice. Requires accountability. In Luke 12, 48, everyone to whom much is given from him, much will be required. And to whom much has been committed of him, they will ask more. And we said that it really doesn't seem fair in John chapter 15 when it says the branch that bears fruit is pruned even more. We understand when God kind of pokes and prods those who aren't bearing any fruit. But then when we bear fruit and we go through the pruning again, when I'm trying to live for Jesus and I'm preaching about going deeper and I'm trying to encourage people and then I'm in the hospital. And let me tell you something about a little bit about my stay. For 48 hours, I could only have ice chips. I couldn't even drink water. And so for 48 hours, I'm just ice chips. And every time my cup ran out, I couldn't wait for them to bring me another cup of ice chips. And then after two days of ice chips, then I get chicken broth. And you know, let me tell you, that was the best. I don't, I, probably the only time in my life I ever had chicken broth, and I even know you can have that as just a thing. But it was delicious. I'm like, this is... And then like later on that night, it was like red jello. I don't really like jello. I'm like, this is a feast. And it's funny, but it kind of dawned on me how much we take for granted. How ungrateful we can get. And then I began to recognize in the midst of my discomfort and my frustration and the guy on the side of me who, you know, I, I, I gave him my pudding, extra pudding. I, you know, he knew I was a pastor and at some point I wanted to choke him. And it was good that I'd already told him I was a pastor because that was kind of what was keeping me in check. But I realized how grateful I was to live in a country with the best health care in the world, as tough as that was. People that were trying their best to take care of me. God bless those nurses. It was incredibly difficult. You could tell some of them would just beat up. They, they didn't even have a smile to give you. And at first I was kind of, you know, I was kind of like a little aggravated. Like, I'm, here I am in pain. If I call you, just be nice to me. And I'm thinking, you don't know how long she's been here or whatever. So it, it kind of grounded me, this, this sense of gratitude, and then realizing, like, and again, I'm not trying to be morbid here. I'm just trying to get you to get what I was, what I was thinking. And I realized, you know, I mean, I want to live a long time. Don't get me wrong. I, I don't, you know, but I realized, all right, what's the worst that can happen, right? And the worst that can happen is I die. And I'm, no, I'm not saying that's not a big thing. I'm just saying that I recognize in that moment, this is not my life. It's not my life to tell God what to do with it. And so I said, my prayer wasn't even, I want to get better. It was, help me to be aware of your presence and help me to be Jesus wherever I am. Because that's what it means to go deeper. It doesn't just mean, you know, this, this, you know, this separate notion, this, we'll go deeper when things are really good. We'll go deeper on a Sunday morning. We'll go deeper when it all just kind of lines up. But go deeper when you're sitting in a hospital bed eating ice chips with annoying people in the room next to you. Because Jesus is still on the throne. And he doesn't, he doesn't minimize and he doesn't remove the expectation that we continue to be light in a dark world. And I was so, so overwhelmed by a sense of peace that no matter what happens to me, they can't take away my Jesus. No matter what happens to you. And I know it's a rough season because I've seen it. I know people are going through loss and people have health issues and financial issues. And I say to you, from somebody who understands and representing a God who understands suffering, he gets it. And he still says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And so he knew. I was a little disappointed. You know, I'm like, Lord, I want to be preach a sermon. I preached part one. Now I want to preach part two about going deeper. And I felt like he said, well, how about we go deeper first? And then we can talk about it. How can we go deeper? We said Bible study, right? 
You know, the, the biggest problem in the American church is biblical literacy. Hands down, across the board, without a doubt. We don't know the word of God. And then the world comes at us, or people come at us, or a politician comes at us, and we just say, that sounds right, because we have no founding. We have no foundation, no grounding in the word of God. And so read the word of God as a devotional, read it as a love story, read it to study it, read it to, to get nourishment. There's nothing in the human experience that's left untouched by the word of God. Observation, what does the text say? Interpretation, what does the text mean? Application, how does it apply to me? What do I do? What changes my life? What confronts my thinking as a result of this text? And how am I to adjust and live it out? Am I more like Jesus today than I was yesterday? <coughs> and then we said intimate prayer. And this is a struggle for us. And I shared this quote with you a couple of weeks ago. If revival in our community depended solely on your prayer life or my prayer life, would it break out? You know... Do, do, we, do we just sort of throw up these popcorn prayers here and there for people, or, or are we persistent in our prayers? I mean, I know, I know we got family members, we got friends, we got people we want to come to Jesus. And, and again, we have church on Sunday, and we have a midweek, we have a lot going on, and I get it. During the week is, is difficult. And I, I'm not saying this to make anyone feel guilty. I'm saying it to say there's opportunities to come and pray. Don't miss out. Don't leave what God has for you there because you got, we got too busy. We're all, we're all busy. I, I understand. I understand busy. But like I said a couple weeks ago, like my wife likes to remind me, you make time for what's important in your life. You make time for what's important in your life. And we pray for revival because we want everybody else to change. And revival happens when we're, we're tired of being the same. When we want to love Jesus more than we love the sin in our heart. That's the, that's the fruit. That's the spark of revival. And this is where we stopped last week. And I'll continue this morning with James 4, verse 2 and 3. And I want to read this text. And really, I think all of the world's problems, and when I say the world's problems, I mean my problem and your problem. Because we, we think that, you know, the problem with the world is either a political party or it's, you know, the kids these days or it's TV or it's everything else. But the problem with this world is the human heart. It's been like that since the beginning. The only cure is Jesus. And so James 4 verse 2 says this, You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. I mean, isn't that the source of, of all war, of all strife with our spouse in the world, with other countries? I want this. Isn't it the problem with, with isn't that the, the root of all sin? Isn't that what Adam and Eve, isn't that where it all started? I want to be God. I want to be my own king. I want what I want. And then I'm going to encounter you and you want what you want. And, and we're going to get frustrated if we don't get what we want, and we're going to get frustrated if we get what we want, because it's not going to fulfill us. So you have a world full of people all frustrating, trying to get what they think they want, trying to live lives for what they think will satisfy, and they think will fulfill, only it never does. And no matter what you buy, and no matter what relationship you have, and no matter what degree, and what title, and no matter what you've accomplished it's never going to satisfy the longing of your soul. So we quarrel and fight. And then James says, you don't have because you don't ask God. You haven't learned to bring your needs before him. I have a friend who said to me, do you think prayer changes outcomes? I said, it can. It can change outcomes. But it always changes the person praying. It always aligns us with the heart of God. You know, sometimes what we want is not what's best. In fact, most of the time, I look back and I'm grateful that God didn't answer a lot of my prayers. If you're living for self, I promise you this, and I've known it to be true in my life, and I've seen it to be true in the lives of countless others, it will never be enough. You'll never have enough, you'll never do enough, and you'll never be enough. And I've spent a lot of time with people in their last days 
And nobody says to me, I wish I had a little bit more money. I wish I worked a little more. I wish I, you know, bought that car I always wanted. The regrets are always centered around the people they loved. I wish I would have spent a little time with my family. I wish I would have been more present in the moment. And it takes a health crisis or it takes a a major obstacle for Jesus to get our attention and to say, today, you have today. What are you going to do with today? This moment, this gift. Are you going to be my hands and feet? Didn't Jesus say exactly that in Mark 8? I mean, we, we, hear, we hear Jesus' voice and we read it. I just, I just wonder what would happen if we believed it, if we listened. So he summons the crowd together with his disciples, right? Everybody's around, and now Jesus, Jesus knew there were people that were only there for the loaves and fish. He knew there were people coming around that they just wanted to meet their physical need. They just wanted... And he fed him anyway. He knew, he knew Jesus, Judas was going to betray him. And he had a meal with him anyway. He washed his feet anyway, right? Pastor Jamie was talking about that. Because that's his overwhelming love. That's his grace and his mercy. So he summons the crowd together and he says, If anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now people are like, well, you know, what does that mean, Jesus? Are we all going to be crucified? Like, deny yourself? And And then he goes on and he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. I think it's one of the most profound statements of Scripture. I think it speaks very deeply to each of us. I think what Jesus is saying is, if you think the whole purpose of your life is to live with yourself at the center to do what you think is going to make you happy and is going to make you feel good and is going to make you feel secure. And if the whole center of your life is you, you will get to the end, even if you have 100 years, and you will recognize that you missed out what it means to be human. That you've lived your entire life and you've lost it. And Jesus is saying, but if you recognize that everything you long for, that everything you were designed for, Living with me, allowing me to live in you and through you. That all the purpose and meaning and value. The friend says, you know, does prayer change anything? It does. It changes us. And you know what it does? Every prayer that's ever been prayed, every prayer that ever will be prayed is answered on the cross. Every, every prayer for, for healing, every prayer for deliverance, every prayer for salvation, every prayer we've prayed is answered on the cross. God says, I've made a way where there was no way. There's nothing that you pray for. There's nothing that you long for that Jesus didn't complete on that cross at the cost of his life. And so then he says, for what does it benefit a person to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what could a person give in exchange for his soul? In other words, Jesus is going, look, even if, even if you got everything you wanted, even if you did everything you wanted, and at the end, you, you lost your soul, you didn't have me, what, what good is it? And we spend our whole lives not answering that question until we get to the end. For what could a person give in exchange for his soul? Bill Bright once said, every Christian has a direct line of communication with God available at all times. And the only time, most of the time, that we call on him is in an emergency. It's like our prayer phone is like the red phone in the president's desk or whatever, like just the, just the emergency phone. We could have communication all the time, but we wait. The nuclear option, right? Jesus came. The veil's been torn. So we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Colossians 4, 2, I love this. It says, continue earnestly in prayer. Continue. Don't stop. Continue. It's ongoing. Earnestly means sincerely, with focus. Continue earnestly in prayer. Because walking with God involves talking with God, doesn't it? Jeremiah 29, 13. And you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. 
I promise you, as sure as I'm standing here, if your desire is to live an abundant life, if you want to get to the end of your life and you're going to say, I did the best I could. You know, I, I, remember, I remember talking to my father very clearly. I remember uh, at Teen Challenge, it was a Thanksgiving dinner, and he, this was like a couple months before he died. But I remember we were walking around. I remember like the conversation verbatim. And we were walking around in the parking lot of Teen Challenge, and I remember he said, you know, this wasn't my plan. But, you know, if it's God's plan, I'm okay with it. Because I did the best I could. You know, I raised, raised great kids. I was a good husband, had a good wife. I worked hard. And I know where I'm going. And this was a guy who had been saved for maybe like five years. I had gone to, you know, I was, you know, all right, you're going to see my father. I got to encourage him and pray with him. And, you know, even though I was in a program, I remember thinking of like, all right, when he comes here, I'm going to encourage him and I'm going to pray with him. And then we sat there in the parking lot and he just looked at me and I'm like, I can't do this. I, I'm not. And then he encouraged me, and he prayed for me. And it was so encouraging to understand what it meant to walk with Jesus, what it meant to have such a real relationship that when there was nothing else to hold on to, he can hold on to and say at the end of his life, you know what? It was a life well lived. If the desire of your heart is to have abundant life, have a deeper love for God, have the power of Christ flowing in you, become a stronger Christian, having the Holy Spirit direct your steps to be more confirmed to the person God created you to be, you must pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 Pray continually. Prayer is just communication with God. You don't have to have the right words. You just have to have the right heart. And sometimes you can come with them the wrong heart and ask them to give you the right heart. But we've got to come. Genesis 6-9. Next thing is intentional living. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was just a man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. Amos 3-3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? It, what, when we're Christians, what it means is that day by day in humble submission, we learn how to walk with God. Not to keep Jesus on the peripheral. Not to run ahead of him and wait for him to catch up. Not to lag behind him where he's working, he's doing stuff, and you're on the sidelines, but to walk with God. Emmanuel with us. As believers each day in humble submission, we are renewed into the image of Christ. It's called sanctification. Big theological word. It just means being made more like Jesus. And here's the thing. The less you are like Jesus, the more painful that can be. So for some of us, it's very painful. I mean, it took me three, three matching shirts to realize. If we didn't have Willie as the fourth pastor, I would have, never, I would have been stumped. I would have just been like, I don't know how, how, how are three of us wearing the same shirt. It was, the, it was that fourth shirt. And my wife called, are you having fun? you having a fun day? It's going to be fun. When we have the pictures, we're all going to take our shirts off. Gonna... See, who, who's laughing now? <laughs> Children will be running for the exits, right? I get it, I get it. Our problem is not that God cannot change us. Ours is the problem of the will. Do I want all that God wants from me? Do I want to live a life that will glorify him? Or do I just want what I want? I read this prayer before. I want to read it again. Some of you may have heard it, but it was written by an unknown Confederate soldier who was anonymous. And I don't know, but this just rings true to me. When I think back on my life and the way I've prayed and what God's done. And he said this, I asked God for strength that I might achieve and I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I would become wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of others, and I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life, but I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, yet everything that I had hoped for. And almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. And I stand among all people most richly blessed. You know, sometimes, most of the time, all the time, God knows what we need much better than what we know. And so 
So when you don't get what you want, where's your trust in him? When your week doesn't look like it should look, when you're in a hospital bed instead of at a Christmas party with your family, are you aware that Jesus is still there, that he's no less good? Do you hear the still small voice? See, most of us are familiar with James chapter 1, 2, and 4. He talks about testing our faith. And it says this, Consider it joy, my brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That means that it's God's will for our lives that we be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And most of the time, the way we get there is through going through stuff. So you've gone through stuff and I've gone through stuff. And you know, here's the thing. The most painful stuff you've gone through, that stuff is the biggest testimony of God's grace and mercy because of what he did in your situation there and also because of the hope you can share with other people. And so I know sometimes it's a season of healing and you need to let the church love on you. You need to feel the love of Christ. But then when the time comes, and it will come, use that as a springboard for ministry because there are people who are going through what you've gone through that I can't speak to, that I don't understand. But all of us have an opportunity to minister and most of the time it's our past and our pain that most equips us to be able to minister, but we have to give those things back to God. I'm not saying you're ever healed. I'm not saying the loss is ever completely gone. But I can guarantee you that the best thing you can do to honor the memory of someone you loved is to live well and share Jesus Christ. Are you more like Christ today than you were yesterday? What are the benefits of going deeper? Inexhaustible treasure. Inexhaustible treasure. You know, after the, the couple weeks I had, and, you know, first it was like, I want to get through it, and then it was like, God, just be with me in the midst of it. And now I stand here, as I'm standing here before you now, my heart, I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for these last couple weeks with Jesus. I'm grateful that he does what he needs to do. I'm grateful that his timing is always perfect. And that, yeah, I went through some things. And, and we went through some things. Jesus was with me. And he sustained me. And he reminded me of who he is, even in the midst of struggle. And I'm grateful that once again I can speak to you from someone who's experienced the love of God. The radical Love of God. Ephesians 1, verse 16, Paul writes, I do not cease to give thanks for you, making it of mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know what it is, the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe. I love that. His exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the work of his mighty power. What would happen if we gave him full access? What would happen if we weren't afraid? You know, we don't experience inexhaustible treasure because we think we have inexhaustible treasure. And every time we don't experience the treasure, the joy, the strength, the peace of Christ, it's because we're holding on to something else that we think is going to give it to us. There's a story Billy Graham told about an old woman in Glasgow, Scotland, and she was running through some financial difficulty, and so they decided to take a whole offering put together for her. Couldn't pay her rent. She couldn't buy her food. And so the church took up an offering and he went and he knocked on the door and didn't hear an answer and he knocked on the door again and still didn't hear an answer and finally he left. And next day he sees her at church and he said, you know, we stopped by your house and, and we, had a, we had a gift to give you and, and you didn't answer. And she said, oh, I heard you. I was home. I didn't open the door because I thought it was the landlord. Landlord. 
See, we have all these riches made available to us in Christ. And some of us just don't want to open the door. We have needs, spiritual needs in our own hearts, strongholds. And we don't want to open the door. We don't want to give God access. Maybe he'll take something from us that we really like. What keeps us from going deeper so often is that we don't want to let go of what we think is treasure. Emmanuel means God with us. It means going deeper with Jesus is a deeper friendship. It means a greater level of trust. You know what a banana trap is? A banana trap is a small cage that has a hole for the monkey to put his hand through, and it has simply a banana in it. And the monkey grabs the banana, and as long as he's holding on to the banana, he can't take his hand out of the cage. But the minute he lets go from the banana, he's free. But he thinks that all he needs, that all he wants is that banana. And he holds on to it to his own peril while the scientists or whoever are trying to trap the monkey walk up to him and simply grab him because he couldn't let go of the banana. So in our lives... What is that treasure? What is that thing we're holding on to so tightly that it's become our trap? That we think, well, I can let go of a lot of things, Jesus, but I can't let go of this. And then the enemy walks up and grabs us again and again and again. If we would just let go, we would be free. One of my favorite and all favorite scriptures, I have a lot of favorite scriptures, but Galatians 5 1 is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not allow yourself to be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Inexhaustible treasure is found in nothing else and in no one else but Jesus Christ. And everything you have, every relationship, every possession, your health, it can all be gone. You could have a talent. You can be an amazing musician, and the next day you can't play. It can all be gone in a moment, but Jesus will never leave you or forsake you, and he will be with you always, particularly when you're brokenhearted, particularly when you're crushed in spirit. Patrick Henry was one of the founding fathers. He was an attorney. He was a politician. He was known most famously during the Second Virginia Convention saying, give me liberty or give me death. And he wrote this. I have now disposed of all my property to my family. There is one thing more I wish I could give them, and that is faith in Jesus Christ. If they had that and I had not given them a single shilling, they would have been rich. And if they had that not and I had given them all the world, they would remain poor indeed. In Ephesians 3.8, Paul talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Probably heard before, grace is God's riches at Christ's expense, right? The unsearchable riches of Christ, that we would learn how far and wide and deep his love is. That we would go through moments, whether it was a crisis or a loss, but these times where everything's just focused on, you know, the brevity of life and on, on this moment and as a gift for the day. And for a little bit, all the, all the little stuff we're worried about, all the distractions, for a moment, those things go away and we have priority of focus. And then what happens? We get through that season and we forget them again. We get busy again. And I get busy but again, we make time for what's important. I've talked to a few people and I said, hey, you know, Christmas Eve, we're having a service, you should come. And well, I got a lot going on. And I, I just want to be like, do you understand what Christmas is about? Do you, do you get it? Emmanuel, God with us. Infinite power in prayer. In the month of January, we're going to focus on prayer and fasting and so each of the, the beginning of the weeks in January, you'll get a video from one of the pastors. And then the week of the 22nd, we're going to have a week of prayer fasting. There'll be events here in the church. All the groups will focus on prayer. And again, we have activities. We're busy. We've got stuff going on. 
Find 15 minutes. Find a half hour. Come and pray with us. Let us pray with you. You want to pray alone? Pray alone. You want, you want prayer? Ask for prayer. But don't, you know, it doesn't matter what you say. Don't allow the enemy. Don't, don't allow your sin. Don't allow anything to keep you away from the throne of God's grace. James 5.16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now you might say, well, I'm not righteous. Ah, but in Christ you are. And so that promises that if you come together, you're in Christ, you pray, that there are results of that. Hebrews 4.16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. R.A. Torrey says, nothing lies beyond the reach of prayer except that which lies beyond the will of God. Prayer can do anything and it is omnipotent. 1 John 5.14, now this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of him. And by going deeper, we get incomprehensible peace. There's a quote that says, it's not the absence or presence of our problems that determines one's peace. It's the absence or presence of God. It is not the absence or presence of your problems or my problems that determines our peace. It is the absence or presence of God in our life. Isaiah 26, 3. I like it. This, this should be like all of our, our, our uh, verse for this season. Put it on your fridge. Isaiah 26, 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep in, fer- in, in perfect peace his mind who stayed, who's focused, who's consumed by you because he trusts in you. And then Philippians 4, we're familiar with this, where Paul writes, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it doesn't make sense intellectually. It's not, it's not rational per se, but it is tangible and it is real. It is the peace of God that surpasses. It's greater than understanding. That means it's bigger than intellectual understanding. We'll guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And finally, I'm going to ask the worship team to make their way up. Finally, a benefit of going deeper is inseparable communion. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The Bible says nobody can take you from his hand. 1 John 1, 6 and 7, If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We will know when we are close to the heart of God when what grieves our heart is the same thing that grieves his heart. When we look at people as annoying as they can be, and we recognize the deep love God has for them, that they are no less in need of a savior, that they are no less valuable, and we say, God, break my heart for this person because your heart breaks for this person, and let me see them. Let me love the way Jesus loves. What would it look like, church, if that was our prayer? Help me to love the way Jesus loved. Not when it is convenient. Not when I feel like it. Not when I'm in a particularly good mood. You know, how, how often are there things that, you know, I, you know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to sleep in today. I got a group. You know, I've never missed a group. We can miss one, they say, so I'm going to miss this one. Or, you know, and then you, you show up and then you realize, oh, thank you, Jesus. This is what I needed. Because I've told you before, I tell you week after week, he loves you so much, he's not going to let me get in the way. It's not me talking to you. It's our father talking to us, his children. 
Church, we celebrate God with us this morning. And we remember this season, this gift of God's only son. Count Zinzendorf, who was the founder of the Moravians, he was famous for this quote, which I love, and I, th I, I think it should be on a t-shirt. But he was asked, what's the purpose of life? And he responded, preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. And I just think that would make a great t-shirt. <laughs> preach the gospel, die, and be forgotten. Boom, right? So I love the guy already. I read that. I'm like, I got to, who is this guy? So here's how he got converted. He was in Dusseldorf, and he was looking at a, a painting of Christ the Redeemer. And he was haunted by the eyes, the beauty of the painting. And he stared at the painting, and the inscription on the bottom simply said, I died for thee. What have you done for me? And he was undone by it. And that's how he was converted. And so he looked into the story of the painting, and he found out that when the, when the, uh, when the painter was painting the painting, he asked his, his landlady's little, little daughter to, to come and, and look at the eyes of the man he painted. And he said, look in the eyes, and what do you see? And she said, I see the eyes of a man who suffered. And the painter knew that he had failed. And so he destroyed the sketch, and he prayed for greater skill, and he finished a second and again, he called the little girl and said, what does this face represent? When you look at this face, what do you see? And she said, I see a good man. And again, he knew I failed. And he again, he threw the sketch away in meditation and prayer. He made the sketch a third time. And when it was just finished, he called the little girl and he said, what do you see? And she said, I see the Lord. And he knew at that moment, because it wasn't a good man who came to save us, wasn't just a good man. Wasn't just a suffering man who came to save us. It was God himself, God's only son, who says, I have died for thee. What have you done for me? The altars are open and we said last week it would be great if the seats were empty and the altars were full. And so take this time as we close in worship. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. Commit yourself, recommit yourself to Jesus. His arms are always open, and he welcomes us home. God bless you.